Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Hello and welcome to Hope Online. I'm so glad you could join me here this morning. If you haven't said hello already, please put your name into the chat. Let us know where you're joining us from this morning, where you're watching from. It's great that you can be with us today. Do you ever have that feeling that you shouldn't do something or you shouldn't say something, but you go ahead and say it anyway? So a medieval king went hunting in Africa and he killed a lion and an elephant and a hippopotamus. And he awarded the skins of these three animals to his three favourite servants, his three favourite squires. And he took them back home to his kingdom. And so these three squires became known as the lion squire, the elephant squire and the hippo squire. Now, as the years passed, the lion squire and the elephant squire, they became very jealous of the hippo squire because they wanted that hippo skin for themselves. And so they hatched a plan to kill the hippo squire and divide the hippo skin between themselves equally. Now, the lion squire had eight sons and the elephant squire had ten sons, but the hippo squire was childless. So the lion squire and the elephant squire, they sent their 18 sons to kill the hippo squire. But the hippo squire, he drew his sword and he single-handedly slaughtered all 18 of them. And thus was proven once and for all that the squire of the hippopotamus is equal to the sons of the squires of the other two hides. I'll just let you think about that one for a second. Right, you know what? We shouldn't be in the ISS today because we're talking about something else. So let's just uh, teleport down. Because today we're reaching the end of chapter four in Luke's gospel as we continue our series, The Promise and the Purpose. You know, we're, we're walking slowly through the books written by the Apostle Luke and we're we're stopping at every service station. We're smelling every flower by the roadside. And we're taking our time to enjoy the view and all the treasures that we can find and uncover in the scriptures along the way, verse by verse by verse. So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. It's verse 42, which picks the story up immediately after the events that we looked at last week. Okay, remember, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law in in private, and then he healed the crowd that had gathered outside the house, the first mass healing miracle of Jesus's ministry here on earth. So Luke chapter 4, verse 42 goes like this. 
And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him, and they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Leadership expert John Maxwell says in his book, Today Matters. He says, if I could come to your house and spend just one day with you, I would be able to tell whether or not you will be successful. You could pick the day, but if I got up with you in the morning and went through the day with you and I watched you for 24 hours, I could tell the direction that your life is headed. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? How on earth could he do that? Well, he explains it like this. He says, I believe that the secret of your success is determined by your daily agenda. If you make a few key decisions and then manage them well in your daily agenda, you will succeed. You will never change your life until you change something that you do daily. You see, a success doesn't just suddenly occur one day in someone's life. Or for that matter, neither does failure. Each day is is a process. And every day of your life is merely the preparation for the next. What you become is the result of what you do today. In other words, you're preparing for something. So the question we must all answer is, what are we preparing for? Lydia often tells people, what you practice, you get better at. And I think it's the same idea. If you moan a lot, you become a better moaner. If you complain a lot, you become a better complainer. If you take offence a lot, you become better at finding and taking offence and getting offended and upset. But if you speak positively and look for the best in every situation, you get better at feeling positive and seeing God's hand of blessing at work in your life every single day. Because what you practice you get better at. So if your day regularly starts by setting your your focus, your agenda, your priorities on God, then you can expect to discern his guidance throughout that day. You will hear that still small voice. You will spot those opportunities that the Spirit is pointing out to you and avoid uh, the traps that you might have otherwise fallen into. Jesus had a daily routine. He had his daily agenda. The gospel writers point it out several times. Yeah, the, the parallel passage in Mark's gospel says, Rising very early in the morning, when it was still dark, he departed, he went outside to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke mentions it later in chapter 5. He says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus started his day with prayer. And after praying, he makes a decision. It's time to move on from Capernaum to the other towns. Yeah, but the people in the town, they tried to stop him. The people were bringing the crowds and seeing the healings the night before. Said, no, we need you. You need to teach us more. You need to do more miracles. There are sick people here to heal. People haven't heard you preach yet. How does Jesus respond to this? Well, he carefully avoids the trap that is so easy to fall into when you don't have clarity of purpose. But Jesus was clear 
what his purpose was. And having started the day in prayer, he was able to decide what to do and he decided that it was time to move on. He didn't fall into the trap of of allowing the, the good works that could still be done in Capernaum to distract him from the more important work he was supposed to be doing somewhere else. He prioritised based on his purpose. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What was the purpose of Jesus? To preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he said, his very own words. And this is the message that the Lord has given me for you this week. The good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus preached. What is it? How does it apply to us? How do we tap into it? Well, to understand that, we need to start, first of all, by understanding what is meant by the phrase, the kingdom of God. What, what is the kingdom of God? Now, the, the idea of kingdom goes back to the very start of the Bible. In fact, it's even on the first page. Here's a, here's a picture. And the verse I've highlighted, it says this from Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth. See, dominion means to rule. And God made humans his regents, yeah, the rulers on his behalf upon the earth. And all of the Gospels, they start off by introducing this idea of the kingdom of God. In the very first chapter of Mark, uh, it says, um, verse 14, After John had been arrested, Jesus, he came to Galilee to proclaim the gospel, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke starts his uh, gospel in 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 verse one when when the angel comes to speak to mary yeah in in chapter one it says the angel says behold you will conceive and bear a son you're going to call him jesus and he'll be great called the son of the most high and the lord will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob and his kingdom yeah of his kingdom there will be no end in matthew's gospel when the story starts to get going, when Jesus and John are both grown up, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, so the kingdom of heaven, Matthew always says the kingdom of heaven, but they mean the same thing. And in John's gospel, when Jesus starts his ministry, he starts with his meeting with Nicodemus. Yeah, and the, and the rabbi comes to, to see him in the night. And he asks these questions and Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is fundamental to the gospel narrative. It's brought in right at the beginning and expounded through the stories. So what is it, this kingdom? Well, in our English Western culture, here in the 21st century, we associate kingdom with place. Yeah. Kingdoms are places. We are part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, a place where Elizabeth II is sovereign. 
you know, next, next summer she'll have been queen for 70 years. And we're going to have some extra bank holidays to celebrate, apparently. Happy days. So kingdoms are, are places. Yeah, that, that's how we think. But not so the original writers and readers of the Bible. In fact, it wasn't until kind of the Middle Ages that the idea of place was really linked to the meaning of the word kingdom. Originally, a, a kingdom was as much a state of being as it was a place. I mean, our, our word kingdom comes from the Anglo-Saxon, spoken back in the 5th century, okay, Anglo-Saxon, the word king meaning king, and dom, which means a state or a condition. Think of some words that end in dom. You've got boredom, the state of being bored. Freedom, the state of being free. Kingdom is the state of being ruled by a king. So the idea of kingdom being a, a state of being rather than a geographical place is, is key to understanding the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is wherever God rules as king. It's, it's not a place you can point to on a map, but it is a state of being that describes people who see God as their king. Okay. Bible quiz question. When is the first time in the Bible that God is referred to as a king? All right, put the answer in the chat. Maybe just put the book of the Bible, okay, if you don't know the, the, the exact chapter and reference. Give you a moment to think. When, which book of the Bible is God first referred to as a king? It's actually a hard question because it's a little bit oblique, but it's it's the song of Moses in Exodus 15. Yeah, so just after getting through the Red Sea, Israel sings actually the first recorded song of, of worship in Scripture, and it ends with the line in verse 15, as a verse 18 rather, "The Lord will reign forever and ever. Where only kings can reign, therefore the Lord must be seen as a king." That, yeah, I know it's a little bit oblique. So you can also have a point if you said Deuteronomy 33 verse 5, which says, Thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun. Yeah, and the heads of the people were gathered together and all the tribes of Israel together, which is another song of Moses. And Jeshurun is, a, is just another name that's used occasionally for Israeli means, the upright ones. So the best answer is, is, is I think, in Exodus, God is first referred to as a king because he said to reign but he's specifically called a king and king of, of Israel in Deuteronomy. So if that's what the kingdom of God is, it's the place, it is the state of being. Okay, it's the state of being of people who worship God or see God as their king. Where? Where is the kingdom of God? Because originally the, the whole earth was part of the kingdom of God because all of the humans, Adam and Eve, both of them, 100% of people were obedient citizens of the kingdom back there in the Garden of Eden. Then came the whole snake fruit tree debacle and the humans were cast out of Eden for disobeying Yahweh and obeying the serpent instead when they ate the forbidden fruit. So if the kingdom of God is the state of being where people obey God, 
then when people obey the serpent, when people obey the devil instead, instead of God, where do they end up? In another kingdom, right? The kingdom of darkness. The state of being where people are obeying something other than God. This is why Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12 and in John chapter 14. Yet the, the, the world that he's referring to is, is the place, the state of being for people who are not obeying God, but obeying the devil instead, whether or not they realise it. But when we decide to follow Jesus and serve him as our God and our king, when we put our faith in him, what happens? We get a new citizenship. Colossians 1 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, if, if you cast your minds back to the messages earlier in this year, when we were going through kind of the real primordial ancient history, as we were working our way through the family tree of Jesus, you know, we mentioned in passing the the Tower of Babel event, which is when Yahweh apportioned the rule of the earth to geographical powers and principalities, the the lesser spirit beings, the lesser Elohim, you know, known as the, the sons of God. Again, from one of Moses' his, his songs, Deuteronomy 32, he, he, he talks about, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind and fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Yeah, the, 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 the sons of Elohim. But the Lord's portion is to his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So, so when Yahweh dispersed the people into many nations at the Tower of Babel, kingdom rule for the first time became linked to geography. Yeah. So in this place, Yahweh is worshipped. But over there, those people have been disinherited by Yahweh because of their disobedience, and in doing so, allowing them to come under the influence of the lesser gods, the lesser Elohim, the members of, of God's divine council. And you know what? They do a rubbish job of taking care of them. This is described in Psalm 82. Yeah, Psalm 82 verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council, and in the midst of the gods, small g, he holds judgment. And he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Yeah, all these regional powers do a rubbish job, as we can see by the state of the world. So since the time of the Tower of Babel, geography has become linked to spiritual rule. This is why, why Naaman asked for some bags of dirt. If you, if you remember the, the story of, of Naaman, he's a Syrian uh, general. He's, he, he suffers from leprosy and he's told to go and visit the prophet Elisha in order to be healed. And Elisha tells him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And then his leprosy was cured. And then Naaman says something really odd. He says, please let there be given to your servant, he means himself, two mule loads, two donkey loads worth of earth. From now on, Naaman says, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord. But the thing is, Naaman was going back home to Syria. Okay, And where Naaman lived in Syria, they worshipped a god called Rimon. But Naaman, he wanted to worship Yahweh, the god who healed him. But to do that, he understands he's got to be in the land, in the geography, 
where Yahweh's kingdom rules. So he figures, well, what can I do? I know, I'll take some of that land with me. I'll take some bags of dirt with me so that I can stand on some Yahweh ground and then I'll be able to worship him. See, physical geography was linked to spiritual kingdom for a time. But Yahweh has a plan. He always had a plan to to reclaim the whole earth and redeem and call back all of the nations to himself. That the kingdom of God will once more cover the whole earth. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach. See, the Tower of Babel's event, it sees the disbursement of humanity, the confusion of their languages. In, in, in Genesis chapter 10, there's this long list known as the Table of Nations. It lists all the peoples of the known world as it was at the time when uh, it was written. But God, he hints at his plan to reverse the Babel event, to reclaim all of humanity as his very own. Isaiah Chapter 66, it says this in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and they shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. This is what God is saying. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pul and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away who have not heard of my fame or seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the nations. So when is this going to happen? When is the kingdom of God going to come? Well, when Jesus came and he started preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, he was saying the kingdom is coming near. Yeah, it's at hand. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So it's time to repent and believe in the good news. Jesus said the kingdom would start out small and then grow large. He told a couple of parables in Matthew chapter 13. He said, and he put another parable before them. He says, the kingdom of heaven is is like, like a tiny grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed it into his field. And it's the smallest of seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. And he told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like like leaven, like yeast. That woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus also said that we can hurry along the arrival of the kingdom. When, When he taught the prayer to his disciples, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But remember that prophecy from Isaiah 66 that said all the nations and their different tongues will be gathered together and God God would set a sign among them and then send the people out to that long list of countries from kind of Tarshish, which was Spain, so that's kind of in in the far eastern end of the the Mediterranean, the edge of the known world as it was in Bible times, all the way down to North Africa, to Libya, to Turkey, and to Greece. Just, let's just read again that well-known passage from Acts chapter 2. It goes like this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all get together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. Why was this as an aside? Because they'd, they'd been or they'd all come to Jerusalem for Passover, which had happened um, just a couple of weeks before. And at this sound, the sound of the wind, okay, and the, the people speaking in tongues, at this sound, a, a multitude, a great crowd came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these men speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that's people converting to Judaism, and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Well, what it means is God is fulfilling his prophecy from Isaiah 66. It is re- the reversal of the Tower of Babel event. This time, all of the different languages and the people are gathered in one place. And Yahweh, he pours out his spirit. And Jewish believers from all over the world are converted to faith in Jesus. And that that list of countries um, where the people had come from in Jerusalem that I stumbled through, it represents all of the known world and it mirrors the table of nations from Genesis 10. Now, Some of the names of these places have changed through history, but it covers the same geography. So at Pentecost, Yahweh is signalling the reversal of Babel. No longer will the nations be ruled under these geographical kingdoms. Instead, Yahweh is going to extend his kingdom over the whole earth once more through the global movement of people who are members of God's kingdom. Kingdom once more is more of a state of being. And God's kingdom is those people who choose to follow his rule by believing in his son, Jesus. And at Pentecost, this great crowd of converts, 3,000 souls from all over the known world, the Bible says, they went home from Pentecost and so extended the kingdom of God as they went. With one notable exception, the eagle-eyed and the eagle-eared amongst you would have noticed that there was one nation not listed as being present at Pentecost. Tarshish or Spain, the furthest eastern part of the known world. And I think this explains why the Apostle Paul is so determined to get there. He, he mentions it twice in Romans. Here's one example. Romans 15, 24, he says, I hope to see you passing as I go to Spain to be held to my journey there by you. So I think to some extent, Paul saw his mission to the Gentiles as the, the fulfillment of Isaiah 66. So he needed to get the good news to Spain, to the end of the known world. The kingdom of God is, is no longer limited by geographical borders it is wherever people go who are followers of jesus and the more people who become followers of jesus as the gospel spreads the kingdom of god it grows like that mustard seed into that mighty tree or the yeast gradually taking over the whole 
batch of dough. Have you ever wondered why Christians are so persecuted in some parts of the world where it's illegal even to be a Christian or or convert to Christianity? Because every new Christian is extending the kingdom of God. And in doing so, it's diminishing the rule of those kingdoms of darkness and the powers that would desire to rule it. The very existence of the church is spiritual warfare, extending God's kingdom. Whenever we uh, evangelise, whenever someone becomes a Christian, whenever a soul is saved, it's further diminishing the regional powers that oppose Yahweh's, bringing closer, bringing forward in time their final judgment. Now, we're going to dive into this a bit more in a couple of weeks' time. I've recorded a special interview uh, with with my friend Andy, who works at uh, Open Doors, the charity that works with the persecuted church around the world. So we'll we'll come back to, to this idea. But where is the kingdom of God? It, it, is, it is here and it is still coming. It is the, the now and the not yet. This is what we we see. The kingdom of God is where God's people are. It is a state of being. It is in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. But yet God's kingdom is destined to triumph it is inevitable since the cross and resurrection of jesus as it says in the book of revelation the kingdom of god will eventually extend over the whole earth and all peoples revelation 11 it says then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was a loud voice in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever the the members of the kingdom of god the the citizens of heaven are adopted into god's family no longer is yahweh caring only for the descendants of abraham instead today all followers of jesus are joint heirs equally loved children of father god yeah there, there is no joint citizenship option yeah you can't keep your options open you're either in god's kingdom or you're not. The gospel Jesus came to preach, the good news of the kingdom of God, was that it is finally arriving and the God of love and mercy and justice and peace would extend these things with his kingdom. Good news indeed for people who are living under violent Roman oppression. However, the kingdom of God does not advance through violence, but love. Not through taking things by force, but rather through giving things up. In the kingdom of God, it's it's the least who are the most important. It's It's the last who will be first. The citizens of the kingdom of God, they're called to be salt and light. Salt prevents rot, adds flavor to society. Light exposes evil and danger and shows a safe path forward. As Christians, to, to be good citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we must do more than just focus on extending the kingdom through evangelism, although that is important. But I would argue it's actually equally important that we actually deliver on the promises of God's kingdom, that wherever we are, God's kingdom is. And so we need to bring peace and justice and mercy to every situation that we find ourselves in. This, this is why the Hope Church family, you know, we built toilets for a church in Sri Lanka. 
It's why we've launched Good News Shoes to ensure that every child has a pair of comfy, well-fitted shoes to wear to school uh, here in Malmesbury. We are all ambassadors of the, of the kingdom of God. And how we act and how we live and how we behave needs to show to all who look on, we need to show what God is like and what his kingdom is like. And always we need to extend that invitation. The borders are open. The borders are open. There are no immigration restrictions in God's kingdom. God loves you and he wants you to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom. The invitation is there, but you need to accept it by asking Jesus to be Lord of your life. Lord, I pray that you would bless every person right now who is watching or listening to this message. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real to them and you'd do a quick work in their heart. And if they've never received you as their Lord and Saviour, I pray that they would do so now. In Jesus' name. Now, if you want to get right with God, Today, you can do it right now. It only takes a moment. Just say this prayer with me. It's going to come up on the screen. Repeat it out loud with your lips. Say it in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you're coming back again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me and set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. Well, if you pray this prayer with me today, I tell you today that all of your sins have been forgiven and you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Always remember to run towards God and not away from God because he loves you and he's got a good plan for your life. If you did pray that prayer today for the first time or as a reconfirmation, just press that button on the screen to raise your hand and let us know that you've decided to follow Jesus. Well, thank you, my friends, for joining us at Hope Church Online today. We're going to be here every week until we get to reopen the doors of our churches and I hope and I pray that day is coming soon. We're going to close this part of the service now. The chat rooms will remain open. So if you'd like to pray or, or speak with a member of the team, just click on that request prayer button. It'll open up a private window and you can, you can talk to us there. We're going to continue to, to pray for you in the weeks ahead. Thank you for your prayers for us and your faithful financial support allows us to keep on doing what we do. God sees your sacrifice and the seed that you sow will yield a harvest. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.